I invite you to take out your bulletin or a Bible if you have one, or you can follow along on the screen as we turn to our scripture readings for today. We have a, a little more reading than we've had in the past couple of weeks. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 and 14 and 15, as well as chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Hear now God's word, Matthew 6, 12, 14 through 15. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And continuing in 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but... Um, Lucy is here with us visiting up here in the front, and Jacob, and it's great to have you both here. Uh, Lucy, um, her hair is significantly uh, darker, and it looks great, and, and Jacob uh, is growing a beard like a lot of handsome men right now are doing, so that's really great. It's really great. Um, I'm going to show you three different... Um, Images, and I want you to try to uh, tell me what, what these are, okay? So there's, there's one book and then two, two films, okay? So this first one is the most obscure. It's by Alexander Dumas. Does anybody know this book? Count of Monte Cristo. Very good, very good. Well done, Amy Haley. Fist pump and everything. She's competitive. She's competitive. So uh, Alexander Dumas, Count of Monte Cristo, okay? How about this film, very good, Steve. One-to-one. Uh, one. Let's see. Tiebreaker. Um, yes, the movie Carrie by the uh, Stephen King book. 
And here's the last one. Very good. Uh, you all tied, one to one to one. Um, taken. And do you remember this famous scene where Liam Neeson is an ex-CIA operative and somebody has his daughter and, and he's like, I don't remember exactly what, but he's like, I will hunt you down and kill you. And, you know, every dad with a daughter feels like, yes, he will. And he does. And so what is the common thread with all three of those stories? It's not forgiveness, no. It's, it's revenge. It's, it's revenge. And don't, don't you kind of resonate with stories of revenge? Like, isn't it, it's very satisfying when someone is uh, taken advantage of, as in each of those stories, and then they get their revenge. We, we identify with those stories because... We love justice, and if we're honest, we, we love vengeance. Um, I want us to be really, really careful to understand what this part of the Lord's Prayer means, because we are in a series on the Lord's Prayer, and we're going through each uh, stanza and trying to understand it and to apply it to our lives. And as we get to this one, forgive us our debts, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, this is a frightening prayer to pray. Because what we are praying is not what happens in each of those stories. It, we are essentially asking God to forgive us in proportion with how forgiving we are. And what we are also saying, if that's the case, is if we are not forgiving toward other people, we are saying, God, do not forgive us. It's a frightening prayer to pray. If you are holding back forgiveness... If you are nursing bitterness and resentment and fantasies of vengeance in your life, then with this petition, you are saying, God, judge me with unforgiveness. And that's a pretty scary prayer to pray. So let's, let's pray together, and then we will flesh this out a little bit further. Father, we thank you for... As we just uh, reiterated in the prayer of confession and the assurance of pardon, you have shown mercy to us. You have forgiven we who do not deserve your mercy. Lord, we ask as we think about this portion of the Lord's Prayer, we ask that you would help us to apply it to our lives. Please, Holy Spirit, come and reveal to us ways that we are failing to be obedient in this regard. And give us grace, give us um, wisdom to apply this, not only with uh, past events that have happened, but with things that will happen in our present and future and relationships that, um, that we have right now in our families and our church family. We pray that you would help us to apply these things, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are five questions that I want to go through. Um, the first one is uh, sort of a, a technical question. It's forgive us our blank like what what, it, what is it actually is it our debts is it our trespasses is it our sins uh, how many of you grew up in a tradition where you said debtors debts and debtors raise your hand how about trespasses those who trespass about 50 50 they might grow up saying forgive us our sins a couple of a couple of you did okay so which one is right well uh, let me explain briefly what the different words are in the greek just so we know where we're coming from in this prayer 
Uh, the, the word that is used in Matthew 6, verse 12, and also in Luke chapter 11, verse 4, those are the two places where the Lord's Prayer is, is written in the Gospels, is ophilo, that's the Greek word, and it does mean a debt, a financial or moral debt. So that's the word that's used in Matthew 6, 12. That's why it says, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. In Luke eleven four. It says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted, ophilo, to us, okay? The word for trespass is paraptoma, and that is used only in the, the next little portion in 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So clearly, these are used synonymously, okay? And, and tra- trespass means a, a transgression, some law that you have gone over. You've gone over the line. You see the line, and you've gone over the line. And then lastly, amartia is the word for sin, and that's also used in Luke 11, verse 4, forgive us our sins. So when we pray, and I, I think the reason why the church has gone in different directions, primarily debts, trespasses, is historically in 1549, in the Book of Common Prayer, which was an Anglican book of prayer, they used the word trespasses. In 1611, with the King James Version, the word debts was used. And so these different traditions, the Anglican, Episcopalian, Methodist, Catholic, they used trespasses. And churches, uh, Reformed churches, Presbyterian and others, used the word debts. Um, the word, though, is actually ophilo, forgive us our debts, that, that's the proper word. So all of that is to say, we are right, okay? So it's good to clear that up. No, they're, they're used synonymously, it doesn't really matter which word that you use, but in the, in the Greek, in Matthew's prayer, it is, it is debts. So now that we have that settled, um, what isn't forgiveness? I think it's really important to define this word because... It's very confusing if we don't understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Let's begin with what forgiveness is not. It is not, first of all, an emotional experience necessarily. Does that make sense? A lot of times we think about this as, well, I need to, I need to feel uh, warm and fuzzy toward the person that I'm forgiving. That's not what forgiveness is. Now, you may have an emotional experience as you forgive someone. It's also possible that you will not feel the emotions that maybe you want to feel. And maybe you'll continue to struggle with with anger and with bitterness. And and you'll have to keep choosing to to forgive. So it's not an emotional experience. It's not forgetting. We've all heard that phrase, to forgive and forget. Uh, It's... It's true that God, for he, he actually chooses to forget our sins, and, and he's all-knowing, of course, he's omniscient, but there are passages, um, there's one in Isaiah that describes God forgive, forgetting our sins. Uh, shoot, I don't think I have it written down, but you can, you can Google it and fact-check me. But, but we, we don't necessarily forget particularly Something that is terrible that, is, that has happened to us. And so it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we forget. It doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. Reconciliation requires two parties. It requires 
someone who is asking for forgiveness and someone who is giving forgiveness. But forgiveness requires one party and one party alone. So, so it doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. It doesn't mean that you will be best friends or, or even have relationship with someone who has wronged you deeply. But, but again, forgiveness requires just one person. And I, I would say that forgiveness does require to, uh, to whatever degree is possible to be in relationship with the person if the time comes when they genuinely repent of their sin, whatever they have committed against you. And um, and that, that uh, is really dependent on what has happened and, and how, what, what the, the issue is. Finally, um, forgiveness is not the negation of consequences. To forgive is not to say, well, I, that means that whatever awful thing happened to me, I don't, I'm not allowed to pursue justice because by all means... To the extent of the law, criminally or civilly, we are absolutely freed to pursue consequences um, depending on what has happened to you. If, you, if you, you know, if something awful has happened, you've been abused, is it, is it possible to forgive and to seek the justice of the law? Absolutely, it is. Absolutely. So forgiveness is not the absence or negation of consequences. So if it isn't all of those things, an emotional experience, forgetting, reconciliation, negation of consequences, then what exactly is forgiveness? That's the next question. What is forgiveness? Well, uh, forgiveness is, um, this is, this is a definition of forgiveness, okay? The choice, the choice of the will to absorb a wrong that someone has committed against you. And it very much centers on our understanding of who God is and our relationship with him. And so what's, what's an example of this? Because I, I've talked to people who are not believers who actually see the cross as an offense and who would say, like, why did, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? That, that doesn't, that, that's almost like the father is abusing the son. Why would that have to happen? Why would he have to pay for it in that way? Why can't God, he's all powerful, why can't he just forgive and just say, no, forget it. I choose to forgive. There's no cost to pay. I'm just declaring that you are forgiven without any cost. Well, I want you to think about it like this, okay? Do you remember the movie, Meet the Parents? Okay, Robert De Niro, Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller is the most awkward individual who's ever lived in that movie. And he is dating a girl and he goes to meet the parents and to kind of get their blessing. And so Robert De Niro is the dad. And De Niro has this, he, he loves his mom who has, has passed away and, and um, he actually has an urn with her ashes above the fireplace on the mantle. And so Ben Stiller comes out, they're, they're having dinner, and he, he bought a bottle of champagne. And he, he, um, he's ready to celebrate, he pops the bottle of champagne, the cork just, you know, like a bullet out of the, the, um, out of the shaft that goes and hits the urn, it teeters, it totters, it falls, it breaks, and immediately when the ashes break open out of the urn, Jinxie, the cat, runs over and urinates on the ashes, okay? At that point, 
there's no such thing as, well, there's just no cost. Like, there's two things that can happen. One thing that can happen is De Niro could, like, kill him, or which he was tempted to do throughout the movie. He could also kick him out of the house and say, you, uh, we are not having a relationship. We are done here. Or he could forgive. Either way, there's a cost that's going to be paid. It's either going to be paid by Ben Stiller's character, or it's going to be paid by De Niro's character. One or the other, but there will be a cost. It is just built into the universe that when there is a wrong done by one party to another, there must be a payment. And we see the payment that has been absorbed by Jesus at the cross, 1 Peter 2 In verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So Jesus bore our sins. That means he absorbed them. He took them on. He paid for them. And so it is is our commitment to absorb wrongs that people do to us. And it is a conscious, deliberate decision Um, It is to pay for that wrong. It is to let go of resentment. It is to let go of vengeance. It is to not gossip about the person or the group that has done you wrong. It is to be free of all of that. It is the choice to pay it. And it is not based, brothers and sisters, on whether they deserve your forgiveness. Because Often they do not deserve your forgiveness, and often they aren't even asking for your forgiveness. So that leads to the question, why is forgiveness so very important? Why? Well, the answer to that question is it gets to the very heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the center of the the Christian faith. Apart from understanding this, You can't begin to understand the Christian faith. And Jesus tells a parable to explain this in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, This is set up by Peter who says to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times now. At the time, the rabbis at that day taught you must forgive at least three times, at least three times. And so Peter, being Peter, he thought, well, I'm going to get ahead of this because I know Jesus always demands more of us than, you know, everybody in our day. And so he doubled it plus one. He thought, I don't know, seven. It seems like a Bible number. Let's guess seven. Seven times, Lord. And Jesus says, you just missed it. You know, you, you missed it by 63. Or actually, it can be rendered, have you heard, 70 times seven? So just off by 483, Peter. And the point is, of course, that we, we just continue to forgive. And to illustrate, he tells this story. There's a servant who owes a king, it says, 10,000 talents. That's a pile of cash. One talent was 20 years of wages. And so 10,000 is often used in the Bible to indicate an infinite number. And if you don't think it's infinite and you just do the math here, if, if one talent is 20 years of wages, how many years of wages are we talking about? 200,000 years. Now, I don't know how young this servant is, but he ain't living that long. So it's an un, unpayable debt. And he, he knows he can't pay it. And so what does he do? He falls on his knees and he says, 
have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And then this beautiful verse in verse 27, it says, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. He has this gigantic, the the Greek word again is ophilo, and it's insurmountable, and no one could ever possibly pay it back. And the master, once he asks for forgiveness, he pities him and releases him and forgives the debt. This is the center of the Christian message, brothers and sisters, amen? You and I, we face a holy God, and we were created good. We were created in the image of God. We were created to know him and love him and, and, and do what he tells us to do. And every single one of us has not done that. We have turned away from God. We have rebelled against him. And you might think, well, I haven't done that much wrong. I mean, I've, I've, I've cussed a little and I've lied a couple times. And maybe I've, you know, I've, I've um, gotten revenge a couple times when I shouldn't have. And, but, but make no mistake, there's an infinite gap between us and God and his holiness and our sinfulness requires an infinitely large payment and in that position Jesus came and he made the payment he made the payment on the cross as first Peter 2 24 said and God has been so gracious to us that he has removed our sins from us and here it is Isaiah 43 25 he remembers our sins no more that is the gospel And all it requires is for you to do what the servant did in the parable. It's for you to get on your knees. It's for you to say, have mercy on me, master, king of the universe. I trust in the payment for my sins. I trust in Jesus, and I I want to follow him by faith. I repent of my sins, and I trust in him. And then you are born again, and you are a Christian. If you are here, and you are not yet a Christian, you can receive forgiveness and have the debt of your sin paid for you right here and now, in this very moment. And I encourage you to come to Christ, to repent of sins and trust in Christ, even right now as you're sitting in your seat. That is the heart of the gospel message. It is at great cost. We have been shown mercy. Now, wouldn't it be absurd? Wouldn't it be absolutely insane to have a a hundred denarii I owed to you. That's like, now, now it's not nothing. It's like twelve to $15,000, something like that. But compared to billions of dollars, what, how crazy would we have to be to go to a fellow servant who owes us a couple thousand dollars and throw them in prison out of our unforgiveness of their debt to us? And that's exactly what Jesus says that we do when we fail to forgive our brother or sister from the heart. Now, um, this might be confusing, what it says in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 6. If you forgive others, you will be forgiven. If you don't forgive, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You know, we believe in grace. We believe that we are saved not by any act that we do, not by our good behavior. We're saved by grace. It's a gift given to us. So does this make forgiveness a, a work? Is it like, are we earning salvation? No, by no means. What this means is, if you truly are marked by the forgiveness that God has given you in Jesus Christ, you will forgive. Like there's no, there's no unforgiveness anymore. You can't because you have been forgiven a multi-billion dollar debt that you could never, ever pay back. 
And the posture is, God, you've forgiven me a billion-dollar debt. Because you have done this for me, I choose to forgive the moral debt that is figuratively a few thousand dollars. Now, this gets confused. I think this is hard for, for people who have been deeply wronged, like terribly wronged. And, and you might say that, you know, this can't be this can't be right. The worst I've done is I've had a, a bad thought or I've lied or been prideful or, or cussed. You know, if you've been... If you've been betrayed, if you've been abused, if you've had a horrible thing happen to you, this may not feel like it's a description of reality, but I, I assure you, and I say this not to diminish anyone's pain or what has been done to you, that if it feels like this doesn't make sense, it's because we truly do not grasp the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin. We have been forgiven an infinite debt and therefore we are commanded to forgive the smaller debts, though they are not insignificant, that other people have accrued in our relationship with them. This is a picture of uh, Billy Graham, of course, um, and Corrie Ten Boom, have you heard of Corrie Ten Boom? I've talked about her a number of times. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And she uh, was Dutch, and she, during World War II, she and her sister and her dad, um, they protected Jews and hid them in their, in their home. And they did that throughout at great risk. And then finally they were caught, and they were sent to Ravensbrück, um, a concentration camp where... They were tormented and tortured and starved. And finally, um, Betsy, uh, Corey's sister, and, and her dad, they both died. And she um, miraculously survived and came out of it. She's deeply Christian. The whole family was Christian. That was why they were hiding Jews and risking their lives to do that. Um, one of the few, few people who did that. I mean, just incredible, incredible courage. And afterwards, she became somewhat of a... Um, a celebrity, a Christian celebrity. She would go around and speak all over the world. And uh, one time she was invited to a church in Munich. And she went and she spoke there. And afterwards, someone came up to her and she recognized him immediately. You know who it was? It was one of her captors. It was one of the men who was responsible for the death of her sister, and her dad, it was one of the men who was cruel and who tortured her and who helped starve her. This is what she said. There suddenly stands a man before me, co-responsible for the slow, horrible death of my dear Betsy, and he dares to ask me for forgiveness. All those beautiful sermons about forgiveness, but now I have to forgive, and I can't. And he holds out his hand to me. I pray to Jesus, I don't want this, you, you have to help me, Jesus. And then I realize forgiveness is not an emotion, it is an act of the will. The feeling is not there, but I can move my hand. Almost mechanically, I place my hand in his, and then something extraordinary happens. I suddenly feel a warm wave through my body, from my shoulder, through my arm, to our hands. I have to cry, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And there we stood, the camp guard and the prisoner. For a long time we held hands, and never before have I experienced the love of God so deeply.
end quote. There are people here in this room who are called and commanded to offer heroic forgiveness to people in your past, to people who have done terrible things. And I want you to know, brother, sister, that God is immensely compassionate and that he commands you to do it. And not, not only does he command you, he doesn't leave you alone in that command. He who commands you gives you the power to do it as well, to forgive. And so why is this so important? It's important because it is the heart of the gospel itself. So lastly, how can we apply forgiveness together? There are so many opportunities to practice this because we're all sinners, amen? Lots of opportunities to both seek forgiveness and to offer forgiveness. If you are in a family and you have siblings, what great opportunities you have <laughs> to, to say you're sorry and to offer forgiveness. I want you to, um, today, if you're, if you're in a family, to ask your brother or your sister, your siblings, how, how have I sinned against you or or, or reflect on how do I need to forgive you, brother, sister. If you are married, you've had even more opportunities. And uh, I think one of the things about forgiveness is that um, we all could do better in our marriages of letting small sins go and absorbing them without demanding to be, you know, asked for forgiveness every single time. So that would be a, a really good thing to, to reflect on in your marriage. I see couples looking at each other right now. Um, and, and the same is true for your friendships, but I, I really want to speak to this family, our church family, and how we could apply this together. Because if we, we, we make these today, um, really excited. We have 11 people who are going through our new member class today after acoustic and very excited about that. And, and they're going to make vows in a, you know, a few weeks. And do you know what those vows say, among other things? They say that we're going to live together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, it is so critical that we are willing to to say when we have been wronged or when we feel we've been wronged and try to work it out because sometimes it's confusing and it's hard to work it out. We don't know. And so here are two commands that Jesus gives. Here's Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If somebody sins against you, you go to them. Well, here's another command, Matthew 5. Jesus, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, that's a very important thing, by the way, but you got to stop if you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Do you see how this encompasses both sides? If you are sinned against, you got to go. If you have sinned against someone else, you got to go. If you know you must go. Either way, you, you got to go. And the, the thing that I, I think is, um, is true uh, more, than, more than anything in churches 
is someone gets their feelings hurt, and it might be a legitimate sin, and rather than going and saying that, you know, you really hurt me when you did this, what do you do? You just, you act like nothing's wrong, right? But there is something wrong, and it begins to eat at you, and you struggle with it, and you're frustrated, and it might be a completely legitimate thing, but you just, it, it, and, then, and then this root of bitterness grows up, and then eventually people leave over those things, and fellowship is broken, and it's heartbreaking. It really is. And so if we practice, imagine, church, if we practice this, if when we hurt someone or when we were hurt by someone, we just went to them and, ha- and hashed it out lovingly, we would create a community that people would say, wow, they're, they're different. Like, they actually mean it when they say that they love each other and they care about each other and they... You know, they, they, they have conflict, but, but they, they work it out in a healthy way. And that's what we're commanded to do. Can we do that? Can we do that? <laughs> Can we do that, brothers, sisters? That's what we're called and commanded to do. I'm telling you, if we, if we commit to this as a church, uh, we will see incredible fruit. And, and part of that fruit will be deep, deep relationships, relationships where we support and love each other that go beyond just the, the pleasantries, that go into the depths of all that we're struggling with and the things that we need help with. And I think all of this would embody what Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you have forgiven us. We are those who accrue a, an infinite debt before you, and yet you have reached down and helped us when we could not begin to help ourselves. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying for us. Thank you for rising again victoriously. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who does not yet know you, who has not yet decisively come to repentance and faith, and I pray that they would right here and now, they, they would just pray a simple, it's not a formula, it's just a simple prayer, God of the universe, I'm sorry for my sins. I know that Jesus came and was fully God, fully human. He died on the cross, he rose again, and I trust in him for the forgiveness of my sins. I pray that if anyone has done that this morning, that that they would be born again, that you would fill them, Holy Spirit, that they would tell people about it. And Lord, I also pray for those in this room who have had tremendous uh, sins visited upon them by other people. I pray especially for them. I pray that you would give them strength and the power of the Holy Spirit that they need to choose to forgive. I pray that you would heal them through that very forgiveness as they let go of bitterness and resentment and anger. I pray that all of us would trust, as Romans 12 says, that vengeance is yours, Lord, and you will repay. And we trust and we want to trust that that is true. And Lord, lastly, I pray for our congregation. I pray that we would be a place where we go to each other 
both when we have we suspect we've sinned against and when we are hurt because we have been sinned against. And I pray that you would help us to practice that kind of genuine Christian community so that we get deeper relationships and friendships, so that we are in it for the long haul, and so that you get the glory. Thank you for hearing us, God. And now, hear us as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.